Well, I'm going to ask you to uh, join me in Luke chapter 11 for our scripture reading tonight. Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be reading from verses 45 to 53. Ultimately, we are thinking about the canon of scripture. And I was thinking that probably it would probably be hard to come up with a more boring sounding sermon title than the canon of scripture. <laughs> But hopefully it will exceed expectations. Luke chapter 11, verses 45 to 53. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. Forever, O Lord, Your Word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask for Your blessings on us tonight as we, uh, as we look to Your Word now and thinking about uh, what it is. We ask that You would preside over us. Be gracious to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. I, I, it, it certainly is a sign of the times that <clears throat> tonight we, we're considering a topic that probably just eight or ten years ago you'd have thought, man, this, this is the hot topic. This is, we need to be talking about this. We need to be talking about the inerrancy and the infallibility and the inspiration of Scripture but we live in a time where it seems like those are no longer the beachheads of debate. The sexual revolution has consumed all of our time. And we've left these topics. Last week, remember that we talked about the necessity of Scripture and we looked at, we thought a little bit about the uh, general revelation that God has revealed Himself in nature. And never forget that there are essentially two books through which God is speaking to mankind. The first book is the book of nature. And the second book is the book of the Bible, the book of the Scriptures. God has given us the Scriptures because when we look at the book of nature, it doesn't tell us how to be saved. Yes, we can see that God is angry. Hurricanes and earthquakes and these sort of things reveal God's wrath to us. But they don't tell us how his wrath is satisfied. So he was pleased to give us the Bible. And as we work through the confession, 
The next topic, after we leave the first paragraph in paragraphs 2 and 3 of the Confession, talk to us about what we call the canon of Scripture. And so I'm just going to read to you what it says there briefly. Under the name of Holy Scripture, or the Word of God written, are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testaments, which are these... And I'm not going to read them for you here now. You've got them in the front of your Bible. It's the 39 books of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi in the English Testament. And then in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, the 27 books of the New Testament. Concluding, it says, all which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. The books commonly called Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are no part of the canon of the Scripture, and therefore are of no authority in the church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings. So, very simply, what is the confession saying? The books of the Bible are the 66 ones that we have in our English translations that we have before us here from Genesis to Revelation, and the reason that these are the books of the Bible is what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, there are, there are different ways to go about this. We could take a lot of time, I could pull out my PowerPoints, and I could, we could start to talk about the origin of Matthew and Mark and Luke, and we could say, well, some people say that Mark was the first gospel, some say that Matthew, some say that there's a gospel of Q out there, and we could talk about how all these things arose, and how Paul wrote his letters, and and how they are reliable, and they have his name on them, and all of these things, and and why others are to be rejected. And and there is a good and a a healthy um, reason to do that. But, but I, I changed my mind, so my outline has changed. I, I decided I, I didn't want to do that. And the reason that I didn't want to take that approach is, is this reason. <clears throat> um, a little over a century ago, men began to look down on the Bible. And I don't mean look down as, as in disapproving of it. That's, that's gone on for much longer. Um, but they begin to critique the Bible and say, well, let's, let's pick it apart and see if we can see. Um, Moses didn't write the book of, books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. M- different people wrote it. And so they begin to pick and pull these things apart and say, here's where we think it came from. And it's a little bit like reading Aesop's fables because we're at being asked to trust this man's judgment over what the text just actually says. So we can go through the whole historical argument and say, talk about where things came from. But I, I thought, you know, for Christians, there's a different reason that we trust these books to be God's word than what your sociology professor over at the University of Southern Mississippi why he might say that they're the Word of God. And tonight we're going to focus on what, why Christians accept the Bible as the Word of God. And very simply, here's what I want you to see. That you can trust that we have the Word of God in Scripture because you trust the God who gave it. And 
you know, for some, that's a, that's a, that's a total cop-out. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we trust in God's word because we trust God. So I want to give you just a few points here. First, the Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's word. The, the confession starts out in, in paragraph 2, part A. It says, under the name of Holy Scripture. And as we think about the Bible, the, the, the Westminster Divines, they started out by saying, it, first of all, it is a holy book. It is a holy book. It is different from all other writings in the world. And I, I, visiting with you, I know that some of you are, are avid readers and you've got your favorite authors. But you know that when you come to the Bible, you are reading literature of a different type. Now, it's still literature. And some of the rules of literature still apply. You look for themes and, uh, and rising uh, 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 a plot line, a rising contention and all these things and resolution, and you're looking for those. But it's a different type of book. Because we remember, as we read in paragraph one, what it was God's will to commit His revelation regarding our salvation wholly to writing. The only reason we have a Bible is because God willed to give it to you. To have it written down. Um, Chad Van Dixhorn, in, in a commentary on the confession, says this, there is no book like the Holy Scripture. And that is because this alone is the written Word of God. That is because this alone is the written Word of God. Of course no book could be written without the talents and insights that God gives to His creatures. Yet only this Holy Scripture is owned by God as His own writing. But when you read the Bible, when we read it out loud, we are reading God's Word to us. And so the first, as we think about this, that the Bible is God's Word, remember that the Scriptures, the Bible, the words of Scripture began in God. Tonight is our affirmation of our scripture reading, we um, read Psalm 119, verse 89, which says this, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So one thing that you need to be confident in is that even though for us, the Bible took many centuries to be written down, and God used many different men to write it down, it didn't begin Within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The entire Bible, every word, was settled in the mind of God before He ever gave it to a single man. The entire thing. Forever, O Lord, Your word is settled in heaven. And so, the words of Scripture are as immutable, as immovable, as God Himself. It has its origin in Him. But God didn't hand the Bible down to us. It came through men that He chose. Some traditions, you think of Mormons and, and uh, Muslims, they will accept an idea that God handed them a completed word. That's not the Christian conception of what God did. It began in God. 
but he gave it to us over time through men he chose. Now, another thing to understand is it began in God, and he declares the end from the beginning. Listen to just a a few passages of Scripture here. This is all from Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 9. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So you see what, what the Scripture is saying is God is speaking. And he's declaring to you things that will happen before they happen. In Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel or my decree, what I determined from before the foundation of the earth, will stand. Yea, I have spoken. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will also do it. And in Isaiah 48, verse 3, I have declared the former things from of old. Yea, they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. So, Through Isaiah, one of the things that God is trying to convey to His people is that He determines whatsoever comes to pass and declares it to His people. He declares it. So the Word of God originates in God and He gives it to us. That's first. The Bible is God's Word. Secondly, God conveyed His Word to men. You notice that when you go to the, we, we read from the confession, it said, this is the canon, these are the 66 books, and I know you, you probably know what canon means now, because everybody talks about the canon of Marvel, and what belongs in it, and whatnot. But what they say is, that they don't go to a lot of length in trying to argue what those books are. They say, what belongs there, belongs there, because it's inspired. And what doesn't belong there doesn't belong there because it is not inspired. This is one of our questions. Um, the second, under the second heading, God conveyed his word to man. The second question is, well, which books belong in the Bible? What's the, what's the standard? What are we looking for here? How do we judge which uh, books are there or not? And, and um, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember that a, a few years ago, probably more than that, maybe over a decade ago now, I guess, uh, a popular movie came out called The Da Vinci Code with uh, Tom Hanks. Do you all remember that? Maybe some of you read the book that was written by Dan Brown. And it became very popular. It reintroduced this whole idea that, look, Constantine presided over the Council of Nicaea and nobody had any idea that Jesus was the Christ until they did this in AD 325 and they, they secretly, the Vatican secretly got rid of the Gospel of Thomas and all of these Gnostic Gospels because these cast a lot of shame on the church. The fundamental standard for what makes a book of Scripture is that it must be inspired. This is the simple rule. How do we know what belongs in Scripture? Well, whatever is inspired must be there. Whatever comes from the Lord. God inspired certain men to record His words. 
And the compilation of all those words through all those men constitutes the Word of God. As you and I read through the narratives of Genesis, one thing stands out. That God had very close communion with certain of those men. He, re- he revealed Himself in special ways. He appeared in visions and in dreams. He came to them. That's not quite the same as inspiration. For with some of those men, God had direct communication. You think about M- Moses going up on the top of Mount Sinai. God repeatedly told Moses to write those things down. And what God did in inspiring Moses to write is he so preserved his word that through the mind and message of Moses, God's word was given to us and preserved. And and as you read the the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the things that's clear is that these men understood that they were writing or speaking the words of God. Think about these with me. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. says this, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. Think about the boldness that it takes to put that on paper. Here's Zephaniah. um, Or you think of, Amos, a a lowly shepherd who come from nowhere. And they say, these are the words of the Lord. Guys, I am speaking the word. Or Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now when you read that word oracle in the Old Testament, it it has a, a certain idea. It could also be translated as burden. And, and so what the prophets are trying to get across to you is, is that this is, is, has been laid upon them. I can do nothing else but speak it out to you. This comes from the Lord. There's no equivocating, no maybes, no hem-hawing. They declare that what they are speaking is God's Word. And, and think about the apostles. Flip over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul wrote here, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. So you see there, Paul, his conception of what he is teaching and preaching is that His words are the words of God conveyed to these people. And this comes out in other places like 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture, all writings, all these writings are breathed out by God. 1 Peter 1, verse 21. That no prophet speaks of his own will. He speaks as he is led along by the Holy Spirit. So over and over in all of these books of the Scriptures, what do we find? This this concept that these men from beginning to end are speaking the words of 
God. But there's another thing that we need to be mindful of when we think about the giving, the writing, the recording of the Word of God. We also need to think about what God's Word says about receiving His Word. God gave His Word to man, but man received His Word. I want you to look primarily at the Gospel of John for this one. Look with me at John chapter 10. Look with me at John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then skip down with me to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, what Jesus is conveying to us in these simple words is that there is a Holy Spirit-given intuition in the heart of the believer that enables him to hear the voice of his Master and follow him. This is one of the reasons that we place such importance on preaching the Word. Why do we preach the Word? Why do we insist on going to the Scriptures rather than Brian's experiences and imagination? Because the sheep that belong to Christ will be drawn to His Word. Look also with me at at John chapter 14, verse 23. Judas is asking, the other Judas, not Iscariot, is asking him a question, Lord, how... Will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered in verse 23 of John 14. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love me, will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Word And so uh, implied in that is what? An identification of the Word, an ability to read and understand and to discern what is the Word of God and what isn't the Word of God and only to obey that which is the Word of God. This is what Christ promises through His Holy Spirit, that He will enable you to identify what is His Word. But Also notice with me, flip back to Jeremiah 31, and and notice that this is a promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31. Look with me at verse 34. Jesus Through Jeremiah says, I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. And then verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And, and we want to be careful here because the argument is not that, that we don't need teachers. Clearly, Ephesians chapter 4, 14 says that Jesus gave teachers to the church. But what he's saying is that the true believer, taking all of this in together, the true believer in Christ will be able to identify the words of Christ, will hear and understand the words of Christ, and obey those words. This is an aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you. The, the scientific and historic studies help. They can bolster your faith, but they cannot give you the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables you to distinguish what is true from what is false. And so what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to say to you tonight is that ultimately our trust in what the Word of God is is that God is faithful and that He will not allow His people to be led astray. But I want to make one last point here tonight. And, and the question that I simply have here is what about the Apocrypha? What about the Apocrypha? Some of you may have... Uh, uh, Roman Catholic friends, and they'll say, well, we've got extra books in our Bible that you don't have in, in yours. And so that uh, becomes a conversation piece. Uh, what exactly, first of all, what is the Apocrypha? Well, uh, the word simply means hidden things. That, that's what Apocrypha means, hidden things. And so for Roman Catholics, it refers to about 15 books that were recorded and inserted in their Bibles that come between Malachi and Matthew, okay? About 15 books that were written between the close of the Old Covenant and the advent of Christ. For liberals, it includes what are called the Gnostic Gospels. Again, we're going back to the Da Vinci Code, and you think about the Gospel of uh, Stephen, and some others. But Catholics and liberals have a similar argument, and here's the argument they make, and you can um, um, go back and look at this for yourself, but uh, they make a similar argument. Um, and, and I actually recently heard Michael Kruger talking about this, who's a professor at RTS. He's got a wife named Melissa Kruger, who's a, a famous journalist. Um, they make a similar argument. They say this, we cannot possibly know all the books that were available way back then. We can't possibly know all the books that were being circulated amongst the churches and what happened to them. Therefore, um, we can't know all the books that might constitute the Bible. There might be others that belong in here. How do you know? So for your Catholic friends, they answer that question by saying, well, we need the church to tell us which books belong in the Bible. Liberals say we simply can't know what the Scripture is. We can't trust it. Responding to Catholics, I appreciate the way that John Calvin makes this argument. He says, listen, here's the issue with your argument, saying that the church defines what the Bible is. Here's the problem. We don't even know what the church is apart from the Bible. 
The Bible tells us what the church is. The Bible tells us what the church's authority is. How can you tell us that the church tells us what the Bible is when it is dependent on the Bible to exist? It cannot be vice versa. And as we respond to the liberals, simply know that none of the writings that they suggest belong in the Scriptures can be dated earlier than the third century, long after the canon of Scripture was completed. And there's a reason that these works had to be dug out of someone's dustbin. But I wonder, have any of you ever read from the Gospel of Thomas or from the Apocrypha? Let's do it. This is from the Gospel of Thomas. Simon Peter said to him, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like it might merge right on into the Gospel of John. Here's another one. This is the Testament of Reuben. For evil are women, my children. And since they have no power or strength over man, they use wiles by outward attractions that they may draw him to themselves. And whom they cannot bewitch by outward attractions, him they overcome by craft. Now, clearly that one is inspired by the Lord. How about the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew? After these things, her nine months being fulfilled, Anna brought forth a daughter and called her Mary. And having weaned her in her third year, Joachim and Anna his wife went together to the temple of the Lord to offer sacrifices to God and placed the infant, Mary by name, in the community of virgins, in which the virgins remained day and night praising God. And when she was put down before the doors of the temple, she went up the 15 steps so swiftly that she did not look back at all, an infant. Nor did she, as children are wont to do, seek for her parents. Whereupon her parents, each of them anxiously seeking for the child, were both alike astonished until they found her in the temple. And the priests of the temple themselves wondered at this infant springing so deftly up the steps. Here's one from the Apocrypha, Bell and the Dragon, the last one. Then said Daniel unto the king, I will worship the Lord my God, for he is the living God. But give me leave, O king, and I shall slay this dragon without sword or staff. The king said, I give thee leave. Then Daniel took pitch and fat and hair and did seethe them together, and made lumps thereof. This he put in the dragon's mouth, and so the dragon burst in sunder. And Daniel said, Lo, these are the gods ye worship. And I read these to you for one reason. 
Because what we said earlier is that the believer, when he reads the words of God in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, recognizes what is God's word. And as we read these things tonight, clearly you can see that they are different. And there's a reason that they were put into someone's dustbin. You can have trust that we have the word of God in Scripture because you trust the God who gave it. And remember that Satan would love nothing more than to separate you from God. And if he can sow in your heart doubts about the Scriptures, well, he's got you. And he uses men like Bart Ehrman and other liberals to propagate these doubts. But the one thing you know that you can trust more than history, more than the men who go back and try to compile where all these books came from and the process by which they became the canon of Scripture, what you can trust is the God who has given us this Word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we worship and adore You and thank You so much for giving us Your Word. And thank You also that You've given us Your Holy Spirit who guides us to understand and learn from your word and live to your glory. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.